Hello and welcome to the Dungeon Masters Guildhouse. Uh, this is a weekly podcast in which I, your host, Matthew Whitby, sit down with people all across the tabletop, RPG and surrounding space. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Maul Evans. Hello. Hello. How, how, how are we doing this this fine afternoon? Good. good. I think good. Yeah. I, I, I must admit, I'm, my go-to thing is when people ask me how I am, I do just hit them with the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's not it's I'll not, have to try that out yeah it works it works quite well because it's it, it sounds positive but it's open <laughs> to interpretation <laughs> how are you yes yeah yeah I am I am I am yeah, on a scale <laughs> of one to how yes <laughs> <laughs> but uh for the, for the people listening uh law and stuff like that um what's what's, what's your involvement with the, with the tabletop RPG industry uh I have my fingers in many different pots and I'm trying to wriggle them I'm not going to continue that sentence. That sounds terrible. Um, (laughs) I am an artist, uh, occasional graphic designer, occasional layout artist, editor, as well as proofreader, and sometimes do my own writing as well. Yeah, I think was it you got uh, (laughs) art director as well in in that mix. Yeah, I've got art director at Exasis Games, which is. Uh, my partner Kat and my company, uh, he was there first. I just happened to get in because I also do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was easier to just combine forces. Um, and so, Okay, so I guess in, yeah. in trying to obviously untangle, <laughs> I'd like to use your own terms here, untangling all your fingers from all these pies. <laughs> <laughs> so, Which is, I, 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 I apologise. but So many fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I've got like 20 it's really weird um but what was I guess kind of like what was like kind of the first step you took in in kind of was it always like starting from art or was it a dabbling like I've always dabbled um I have ADHD and that means that I am a keen dabbler um art is something that I always go back to but um at the time which was three and a half, four years ago now. Um, I was also doing a fair amount of editing in what had been my day job, which was bid writing of all things. Um, And it was a really weird time in my life that I got into RPGs because I had been on this, like on the end of this massive two year long depressive uh, streak episode thing and um had a week's a month signed off work while I was medicated and at the very end of that month it happened to coincide with going to the first year of DD in a castle interesting which was at the time just this it was the very first year that they'd ever done it and they didn't know really what it was going to look like we had like five dms and everything was slightly chaotic but we had this um beautiful french chateau to ourselves and it was summer camp for adults yeah and it was the most sort of grounding experience i could ever ask for especially at the end of that month off and coming back from it like a month later happened to be uh Ashley Warren putting out her call for the first Uncaged, uh, which Kat signed up to as a writer. I signed up to as a writer and an editor. And um, that sort of launched everything else. <laughs> oh, I mean, Never look back. It's a heck of like an origin story. What? Uh, Did you sign up as a writer? I signed up as an artist and editor. That's what I said. I signed up as an artist and editor. <laughs> I, do, I do like the kind of like live editing. <laughs> I really, this is the problem with having your spouse at the other end of the house. <laughs> <laughs> There's a spouse in the house. But, but no, I mean, honestly, it sounds like a, I get like a, a heck of or, or, like an origin story as if like yeah. it's a, yeah. Um, but, but no, awesome. And then obviously, Uncaged being the 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 titan, the titan that is. <laughs> um, uh, it never goes away. 
Yeah, well, I mean, was it? In the best way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was... Wasn't the the most recent, was it, Uncaged Goddesses, uh, meant to be almost like a, a send-off or a capstone? Yeah, it was... I, I think of it as, like, a victory lap, mm-hmm. where we came... We, we did this thing. It brought so many new voices and faces into the industry, some of which are, like, thriving now yeah. and completely up and coming, like my spouse. <laughs> I'm very proud of him. Um, I won't make this all about Cat, but no. I know how hard you've had to like that, it? get I, him I'm on. sure at some point Cat will get his own episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it's been amazing to see. And it was a joy to come together with these people that I didn't know. I had never met any of them or even heard of any of them yeah. a few years ago. and they're now some of my closest friends yeah. like ever um i've talked to multiple people that uh like multiple times a day throughout the day yeah. about all sorts of things i've collaborated collaborated <laughs> with them in numerous ways and it was such a joy to not only see us come together again mm-hmm. but also bring in this heap of new people yeah um, i mean i have to seeing like the ashley warren's kind of approach to things has very much been seemingly continued with the storytelling collective yeah. very much about fostering new voices yeah and, and i feel like you can definitely see like with with almost like on a, a, a like a tri-monthly basis you can point to a new intake of authors <laughs> yeah. that are like almost directly as a response to you know their, their efforts um I, i'm kind of curious though then uh so with the kind of uh with the first kind of engaged what was what was like your first like uh like art project like or... uh, so Ashley was really thrilled with Kat's idea uh for his adventure and as soon as I submitted my portfolio she came back to me and went hey let's get you two collaborating um because obviously we it was just shouting down the couch yeah uh, um so that was the one that I did for the first book. Um, I think in that one, we basically had one piece per, per artist. Um, and then I did art for the second and third one, and then only edited for the fourth one, I think. Um, and with that, it was sort of, it was a combination of going with the people, with the concepts that I'd really in, really liked mm-hmm. and going with the people that I really liked um Paige Lakeman had was in the third volume and had been a friend for a few years by that point through the massive uh 5e Facebook group that we don't talk about <laughs> rest, <laughs> rest in peace <laughs> um, it's still there it's oh. just incredibly intimidating okay. it's massive uh but we used to mod it together and um so as soon as I saw that she was in that volume and still available I was like gimme yeah so I guess so did you have like with this uh uncaged did you have like a good amount of freedom then in in kind of because again sometimes in when it comes to like art project (laughs) there is always like the the kind of like thinking of like we get an art brief we then pass the art brief to said artist and then the kind of uh, it was really a mixed bag and I, I get the impression it was across the board as well because mm-hmm. it was really fine a lot of us were taking briefs for the first time yeah. and like I had done a few commissions before that but nothing of the uh, in the same line yeah. and so it was a matter of like with Kat it was easy because we know each other inside out and out and I could just go through the adventure and go I want to do this scene and I gathered some references and we bounced those back and forth mm-hmm. um with one of the writers I did and I am completely blanking on who it was and I feel terrible for that um uh, but one of the pieces I did I uh contacted him and the immediate response was yes I want this scene I want it framed like this I want it with the Medusa the with with the Medusa watching the adventurers come through with this huge room full of statues of people fighting and I was like okay I'm gonna have to level up for this yeah um 
and Paige didn't have a hugely concrete idea of what she wanted for her art so that was a matter of really just trying to capture the the tone of the adventure rather than a particular scene so I'm curious then do you do you have like a a personal preference then between the again it sounds like three different uh, parts of like hands-on kind of collaborative like coming up with the art thing one end of the spectrum of being like this is what I want and that middle ground of like (laughs) (laughs) um it really sort of depends on how easily I engage with material Mm -hmm. um there's some stuff where it's a huge relief when there's a brief because I'm like oh good I don't have to do the heavy lifting for that yeah I can focus on the other details um and there's some where it's almost disappointing because I will read through an adventure or whatever whatever I'm illustrating and get such a clear idea of what I want to do mm-hmm. and then I'll talk to the artist and they have a completely different uh, the author and they'll have a completely different idea yeah so it's give and take and I'm flexible <laughs> I, I suppose that you get there has to be kind of some level of that because again it is it's I, I guess it's I, I again what what I love so much about like just commissioning art in general is is that almost like translation of of the idea you have in your head yeah. that me I, me as a non-artist I will I have a horse in my head I will draw sticks and that would be <laughs> that would that hey would be. I will say as an artist those sticks are useful it's true those sticks if you present an artist with a stick figure but it gives like the general framing that you want or the very rough pose, even if it's just like a hand on a hip and a sword held high, yeah. it's still useful. So, I guess I'm, I'm curious then. So uh, when it comes to like the process of like, okay, well, I have a rough idea of, you know, the framing or what, what is that process like? Of like okay, well, I'm cre- in some of these cases, you're, you're literally creating creatures out of thin air. Where, where, where are you kind of like what are your starting points is it is it very much like like reliance on like I, 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 I don't know I'm not Pinterest, I'm not <laughs> Pinterest is yeah. always my first go um I will spend a good 10-20 minutes sometimes up to an hour just absorbing other content and other ideas that people have had and different animals if I'm especially if I'm designing a creature I'll spend a while just examining different photos of animals or how they move and generally just feeding my brain before I start pulling a mood board together Mm -hmm. and sometimes if it's something that I have no idea or the person that's commissioned me has no idea what they actually want then I'll just send that mood board yeah um for um for queer coded when I was working on Joel Axel for Oliver Dockshire I first sent him just a bunch of different outfits that I liked and that I thought fit the vibe and it was everything from like really ornate sort of uh, Tudor clothing to kink wear and fetish wear. Yeah. And um, he went back to me and went, yep, good. And <laughs> I, I made our, our beautiful slutty boy. Yeah. Because so Quick Coded was uh, essentially, it's not quite, was it a retelling of essentially existing uh, Forgotten Realms characters, but just. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of it was sort of highlight. It was. I don't want to speak for Ollie for this because I he it, that was his baby. That yeah. was, I did several pieces for it, and I love that project. And I'm still baffled by the outla- uh, the backlash it got. But um, what it basically was was taking the elements of those villains that are so often queer coded Mm. and in a very historical way of like effeminate or secretive and manipulative and highlighting those and kind of turning the knob up to 11 on them so that they were the forefront and so that that queerness wasn't just 
uh put down to subtext yeah or like just subtly implied again it is yeah i guess it's, it goes back to the term, the term queer coded it's, it's yeah using that as yeah fair right. queer people deserves villains too yeah they're the funnest part of any story it, 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 yeah, it, like uh, it's so so much of like I guess conversations around particular parts of media often do kind of gravitate towards you know the protagonist and the kind of like villains that get kind of against them. Um, so I, I'm curious then, in, across all the kind of the art pieces you've kind of been doing, then would you say that you kind of have like <laughs> I guess like an art niche or like if you had to summarize you, you, like the the types of like art projects you kind of you know gravitate towards is is there? I struggle with this so much because. <laughs> I want to do all of the things. Yeah. Um, like I, I want to do the the big grand illustrations and I want to do the niche character designs and the monster designs and environments and ter- uh, terrify me. I'm working on it, but they still terrify me. Um, so even with my style, it fluctuates so much depending on the project and the mm. mood of the project. And like, it's currently locked in NDA hell but I've got this one piece that I am in love with that's like this unlike anything else that I've done that's just this really watercolor stylized portrait and I'm dying to show the world and I can't and I suppose that's kind of uh like it feels it feels like I, again, I, I only really have like writers, like analogies and stuff like that, but that sort of like evolving art style yeah. and, you know, that idea of like venturing out into, you know, potentially areas of like, I've never done this before, but, uh, you know, I want to kind of give a go is, is yeah. very much part of the journey. Um, and, and I do hope the portrait gets to see the, the light of day. <laughs> One day. Fingers crossed. Um, I'm it's curious. A really then. cool setting too. Oh, well, um uh, what I, oh geez I have so many I have so many questions geez. um because so basically I kind of I do I want to talk a little bit about um dreadful realms yeah. um but then I also you touched on a little bit earlier and stuff out talking about um some of some of the editing work that you've kind of been doing yeah um I'm just curious if like if if you kind of have like what what I guess what is your approach to editing obviously I, I don't know if that's a weird question other than no it's 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 really it's a good question um and I think everyone has a slightly different approach um I come into it from I try to stick to keep a very outside view of it of what I'm editing and always asking myself can I run this easily as a GM but mm-hmm. also am I still engaged as a player yeah um there's a lot of Write, new writers especially who end up just telling a story that the adventurers are sort of adjacent to mm-hmm. that it would roll on whether they happened across there or not and same with there's a lot of adventures that leave the heavy lifting for the GM and they're already balancing a table full of gremlins yeah and so you want to make it easy as possible for them um I when I started writing adventures I had the same problem of feeling like I had to be clever in how I told the adventure as well as what the adventure itself contained Mm -hmm. but it's not that you're not writing a book you don't have to hide things from the GM they don't need to be surprised yeah oh yeah they shouldn't be surprised I I think like sometimes there is that point of like you know you you kind of want that big reveal for the players and and there's always that moment of like the GM going huh (laughs) (laughs) I I too am surprised I wasn't expecting (laughs) them to be you know siblings Oh, yeah. um, oh no <laughs> what have I done <laughs> I have created a Luke and Leia moment three scenes ago but in fairness but I guess it's kind of like I, I ties in nicely of 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 being kind of like um self-conscious well, not self-conscious but to identify like this is a problem that I used to have I yeah. can I, I, I again I've trained myself to kind of you know work through it and stuff at, and now I can kind of help kind of others through it um, yeah, it's interesting because it, it's it's that it's I guess it it's kind of developmental edit, editing and stuff like that. It yeah. is that kind of like that, that's that flow my and... that's my happy place. I'm comfortable with copy editing. I can it's one of those things that I can sort of do in my sleep, mm-hmm. um, and so it's enjoyable in a 
an easy a, a, a fairly laid back sort of day yeah. um but development editing is where my brain will fuck will hone in on and uh, I find that I have to train myself out of that for when I'm doing copy editing or when I'm doing proofreading because I'm like I'll be reading through something and the writing won't be quite how I would do it mm-hmm. but I'm not there for that no exactly yeah so so I guess to go back to the earlier point then what are like I guess some of the telltale signs that the adventure is currently kind of expecting too much of the DM or is essentially a film with the players watching. <laughs> um, so making things too difficult for the, for the DM is leaving things for them to figure out on their own, um, especially when it comes to things like NPC motivations or the backstory for why something is taking place. If they have to come up with that on the fly, it nine times out of 10, no matter how good DM you are, it won't be as good as if they had something that they could draw from. Mm -hmm. Because they might take it, they might completely change it. But in any circumstance, generally your second idea is always going to be a bit better than your first. And so you put their first idea down on on the paper for them. They can do with it what they like. Um, in terms of editing to make sure that something is still engaging, it's, it, it comes back to motivation. It mm-hmm. comes back to making sure that they have a reason to continue with the adventure, um, whether that is because they have a personal investment in what's taking place, uh, because they have they feel a moral duty to do mm-hmm. so, which you have to be real careful of because there are some really questionable characters out there. Yeah, I, I feel and like yeah, you, you can't you can't really have the hinge of the adventure be like you're the you're the good guys, right? <laughs> it's like just do do the good thing. <laughs> and sometimes, like in the campaign we've been playing on uh, each week, you will have a group that just comes in and has a completely different viewpoint than what the author expected. Yeah, I think it was, it's a like full full disclosure, was it? Uh, We're running through uh, the murder at Baldur's Gate, which as the adventure is kind of written, fully expects you to go, Oh yeah, we should we should like stamp on the, the you know anyone on the lower class and stuff like that, or you know we should we should strip them of their rights and us as like a chaotic bunch. We're like mm. just like eat, eat the rich. Yeah, no, is not. that is that and, and literally no when the, the the adventure is like oh no yum yum oh I guess I guess that's oh um, we broke Bob's brain yeah just a little which, bit. But, was it funny enough speaking of, of Bob or, or I guess sorry RP Davis as he's uh, professional yes. you know <laughs> um is is I, I must admit so having had Bob uh, edit like developmental edit a few of my adventures and stuff like that it's 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 it is fascinating working working alongside him because his comments aren't uh, in the nicest sense of he's not afraid to call me an idiot <laughs> <laughs> I have had to, I've caught myself on that a lot um I've had a lot of lessons in my old job as a bid writer I used to regularly review things for our team and there was one time where one of my teammates had handed me an executive summary to review and because we were we were very friendly and very colloquial with each other I went into it and my comments were harsh. They were things like, why have you written this? What does this mean? And I only learned afterwards that actually it had been written by somebody outside of our team who had joined the company the week before, (laughs) who came back with the comment, I don't know who Laura is, but they're terrifying. (laughs) And correct. Yeah. No, but I mean, that's what I mean. It's like, I wouldn't expect you know, a first time project with, with, you know, an editor who I have no rapport with, to, but it is, it's, that's what, that's what I love so much about, like, in, in, in my experiences, having worked with a, a vast range of editors is you kind of, you know, you pick up their, you know, um, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and sometimes, yeah, it was, you know, things like, well, like Bob's like, 
what the fuck are the characters doing? <laughs> Everyone, like, you know yeah. what you wrote? You wrote both. <laughs> Everyone has a very different style. And honestly, I've been the same in editing some of Bob's stuff as well, because it goes both ways. Um, yeah. And everyone has a different style that they write for and also a different style that they approach editing for. Um, some people are far more hand-holding than I am and mm-hmm. that is perfectly fine if they have the spoons and if they have the time to do that yeah. I don't have the patience yeah. so I will bluntly go this is where you were fucked up yeah please fix it I must admit so I in one thing that I've learned personally is I is I I kind of prefer the editors who do essentially like this this is wrong uh can can you fix it and stuff like that because in the nicest of the, that shame of, of having to like <laughs> fix it yourself and stuff like that it it, it, it better ingrains a lesson in, it's in how me. you learn it's yeah exactly um you know if if someone's like highlighted all the things of like this is passive voice this is passive voice this is passive voice then then i'm like okay yeah okay fair. <laughs> I, I will literally go out of my way to like have checks and balances in base to to not inflict this passive voice affliction on on anyone else what Um, i'll what i'll often do in those sort of circumstances is um i was actually editing an adventure the other day that had it was a ninety thousand word uh campaign and it most of the writing was really clean it was a copy editing pass i was doing and it was it was really clean it was really good but um one of the two authors had a constant problem of using the word that. And I think that I, I did a search and uh, brought it from over 800 uses to like 36. <laughs> <laughs> I think I spent three hours just doing that. Just um, doing that. <laughs> yeah. But then even though I went in and I did all those changes myself, I also flagged it when I sent the file back of, hey, this is one of the uh, consistent issues that I noticed mm-hmm. that you might want to bring up with the writers. Yeah. No, I, I again, so like I, I've got like a, a cheat sheet. So basically I, I do my first draft. Um, and now part of my process is, is literally I go through my cheat sheet of, of <laughs> the naughty words <laughs> and I do my best to kind of, you know, restructure the sentences kind of to remove those. But unless I, I unless I have that kind of conversation with an editor about like, yeah, yeah. Hey Matt, you need, to, you, need, you need to stop doing this, my dude. I'm like, OK, yes, let's yeah. listen, let's get alone. You don't know unless someone tells you. No, exactly. And there's so many things to remember in this industry and in writing for an RPG because it's so different from any other mm-hmm. style of writing. It's it, it's that combination of like technical document and and fiction. It's yeah. it, and, and the, the sometimes when it kind of blends between the two, it can kind of like like this part isn't meant to read like a you know a technical manual. This is the the evocative part, you know. Yeah. Um but geez. Um so I guess I so I, okay. I, I want to ask um, what essentially your like only editing. For, okay, I want to. I've got questions <laughs> um, <laughs> before we kind of like you know pop, pop a pin in the editing conversation. Uh, what would you say are like your favorite and least favorite part of the editing process? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> I'm also going to ask your favorite and least favorite part of your art process afterwards. So that's actually <laughs> easier. Okay, <laughs> we, 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 um, <laughs> editing. I really, I I kind of already touched on this. I love development editing. I love going through and seeing both all of the really clever things that someone has done and finding the ways to enhance those things and pull all of those elements together um, and serving as sort of a translator between their mind and the intended audience yeah I my least favorite part of the editing process is the last sixth of whatever document in whatever pass I'm doing <laughs> I do like it you can be that that, that sort of specific way it's like no it's only the sixth <laughs> it's not like the last quarter it's just the it's, it's just that when the finish line is in sight no matter how big it is yeah you just know that it's right there and your mind just goes, eh, yeah. do I have to? Yeah. I, I think in fairness though, I, but 
when it comes to at least like with the venture content and stuff at obviously the last part is 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 the last six is, is typically the wrap-up and stuff yeah. like that, where where depending on how things have gone the the, the dm knows what's happening like this is yeah. this is just kind of the, the bow on top to be like and they all lived happily ever after or, or, <laughs> i think know. that's part of why my brain starts to go because by that point there isn't a huge amount of cleanup to do yeah and if there is then something's gone real wrong yeah i i feel like because yeah any kind of the issues you had about like you know the flow or the players agency and stuff like that um it, it's kind of yeah i just kind of seen that um i guess in in largest so take the was it ninety thousand project campaign thing that i imagine is like the last like <laughs> I, I guess it can be depending on the project because it is either that kind of like nice ribbon on top or it is that kind of fifty thousand different threads coalescing into like a, a singular kind of point which you kind of need um, that like yeah thankfully for that one it was a series of linked adventures so it wasn't quite pull every single thread that we've written in the last hundred pages together yeah. um thank god yeah <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't envy envy some of those things uh, it was really enjoyable though i really liked it nice um well then okay then and then again uh to put this to go back to an earlier conversation about art because i i, I didn't, I didn't yes. ask it then uh but what yeah when it comes to art what would you say are like your your favorite and least favorite part of, of that process then i think my least favorite is the least favorite of most artists which is just staring at a blank page um the least favorite thing for any creative really yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I cheat i use like a, a template document where i'm never <laughs> blank. yeah i always the first thing i always do in a new document when i'm starting a piece of art is change the background color because then it's at least not white <laughs> which it means weird it's how, more like, yeah. it's less it's more forgiving yeah, I, like um, how like, there's all these like little like mental tricks of like you yeah. know small things like that, or like uh, sometimes like when you're feeling unproductive, doing something very small, yeah, and then having that task done, you can kind of get into like the flow bear and stuff like that. Yeah, um, um, it's weird that we have to trick ourselves to work. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of art constantly changes. Um, currently, I'm on a huge character design kick, mm. but sometimes. Um, I sometimes I will do I'll be really focused on like developing the painterly style that I've been slowly developing over the last two years um yeah, yeah. it really changes no I can imagine because I think obviously it, uh I don't know why it feels like the, the 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 process of kind of creating art feels 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 a lot more ebb and flowy than yeah than can, can, because it is kind of working like needing the inspiration and kind of having that kind of more direct translation of mind to paper. I think, I think the same can be said for RPG writers as well, because sometimes you will really be in the mood for like just bashing out some mechanics. And sometimes you'll really want to do like just a very specific tone of game yeah. and you'll just write it in an afternoon and Sometimes you want to sink yourself, your teeth into something bigger and more dramatic. Yeah. And you'll lose the plot for a few days. <laughs> I mean, so, so, I think there's always those points where, depending on like different projects, sometimes you you almost want the antithesis of like if you're writing something really dark and gloomy, all your thoughts are like, damn, I would love to just write, I don't know, a clown adventure right now. <laughs> like I just mm. uh, I I wallow in any horror that I write. It's and same with art. I in a positive way yeah yeah, yeah. I, the good one. <laughs> I love yes <laughs> I will stay there for as long as possible it is my comfortable pit even though I am a huge wuss when it comes to watching scary movies sometimes there is that weird like again I'm, I'm a big horror wuss as well and stuff like that. but it is weird how like even though you are like it that creating it feels different from from engaging in it yeah it feels like I can write what's scary but not not be scared in the same way that I would be if I was actually like watching something that said, my approach to horror films has changed completely since 2020. Interesting. There was just a point in 2020 where I was just like, nothing can hurt me. I can watch <laughs> a scary movie. I, I, I think it's like a, like in, in a positive spin of like, I'm so low emotionally that it can't get worse. <laughs> I need to feel something, yeah. even if it's fear. <laughs> so... You, uh, I was gonna say, I'm gonna use uh, what you were saying earlier as, as a bit of a segue of um, you know the 
it, what are that ebb and flow of creativity for um, artists also applying for like writers to talk about uh, some of the uh, dreadful realm stuff <sighs> which you've been going which was the the, the uh, ever successful Kickstarter campaign uh, uh, last year yeah. Uh, the end of 2020. Yeah. It is quite late at this point, but we are creeping ever closer to it. We were very ambitious in our, unknowingly ambitious in our goals mm. and in the scope. And a number of life events happened since then. Yeah. But I guess, so for the people listening, what's the, I guess, the, the general conceit of, of Dreadful Realms. Uh, so Dreadful Realms is a setting that Kat and I came up with together um, actually on my birthday weekend in 2020. Um, we initially saw it as like, we want, we're going to create a uh, Ravenloft setting. And then we wrote about 8,000 words together in the span of two days and then by Sunday evening we were looking at it and going yeah this isn't a, a Ravenloft setting this is something bigger yeah um and basically it's this uh it's the first of um so words um Dreadful Realms is the a series that we're intending to make. And so uh, Caverns of the Wise Minister is the first setting within the series. Uh, it's all meant to be set in the same world. We've got ideas for the next one. We've had those same ideas for over a year. Yeah. <laughs> we just desperately need to finish this one first. Um, but uh, in Caverns of the Wise Minister, the setup is that thousands of years ago, a very... A fairly typical elven city was destroyed and the survivors fled into the underworld, which is the domain of death, in order to beg the god of death to give their loved ones back. Um, they never made it that far and instead got waylaid and distracted by the wise minister, who is an entity that they have since built up a civilization around um it's a very dark and moody setting i yeah. i always hesitate to call it dark fantasy because dark fantasy brings to mind the idea of like grim dark game of thrones and things yeah like yeah that. and there is a lot of say one mechanic that we're introducing is a societal mechanic where you have ranks within factions and those factions are anything from your local neighborhood to actual factions within the city mm -hmm. and um, dealing with and that element helps you navigate the different connections throughout, throughout the city easier. Um, but So it's a city that is precariously balanced on a web of lies and yeah. willful ignorance. And we have a lot of fun in exploring all of the different ways that that has created this very broken society that in parts can seem almost idyllic, but also in other parts you scratch the surface and you realize, oh no, <laughs> terrible yeah. things are happening. I mean, I, again, the, I, wow. I, I was just like, there, there is, uh, there, uh, something about being like a, just a, a, a tabletop RPG or stuff like that. I think you always like, people's dream projects kind of always gravitates towards settings. I think it is just because it's, it's that, that power of like being able to kind of create and kind yeah. of like shape like the entire world. Um, we have honestly been making worlds together our entire marriage. Our entire relationship has been, role-playing in one way or another <laughs> so so then I, i'm kind of curious then so with the um with the kind of i dreadful realms kind of um setting world as a whole what 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 was almost like the point in which you realized okay well the cameras and the wise minister is is a sufficient kind of uh a, like like is, is more than enough or was it and then we can kind of expand or is it more the case of like 
it was always the caverns and then it, it kind was, of hit that it was always the caverns and we realized that it was actually in wanting to give the people of the setting um whether npcs or characters more autonomy that we realized that it couldn't be a Ravenloft setting mm -hmm. because otherwise you start getting into um say there's a there's one one tool that the wise minister uses to keep people under its control which is this delicacy called silver row um which actually comes from the wise minister and people who eat it have a, a, a develop a, a low level amount of being mind controlled mm. and so that is something that we started realizing if you put that in a fully enclosed setting it can get squicky in a in a lot of uncomfortable ways that yeah. because the nature of Ravenloft is so fixed a realm is what it is and frankly always will be until adventurers come along yeah and because of that the adventurers would always have to have been outsiders yeah whereas we envision and actively encourage dms and players that are playing in the caverns of the wise minister um in the setting of sepulchre which is the name of the city to be residents from there yeah so that they have that intrinsic connection to the city and its people from the very start so so i i guess i'm kind of curious then so uh when obviously you and cat were kind of like coming up with the, the the caverns as a whole what kind of i guess uh what what, what did you envision the adventure is kind of getting up to well is it is it that kind of uh is, is is everything that's going on with the wise minister kind of like a, a secretive matter or is it fairly kind of so the wise minister is considered basically the deity of this realm um so there's a lot of different elements that and a lot of different secrets that we have seeded throughout the city and the surrounding area for players to explore whether it's um a whole campaign to discover what the wise minister actually is and take it down um, because it's got a lot of plans for the city and beyond it mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily good yeah. for everyone or yeah. anyone. Um, but there's also secrets like um, the cave elves uh the elves that were descended from those initial survivors um discovering what becomes of their elders mm. who frankly turn into giant bat monsters As, um <laughs> i mean i've said that about my nan for years <laughs> <laughs> um and there's um there's one of those creatures has secrets of his own and um some of the elders are a number of the elders are still around and still like running the city. Interesting. Uh, aren't bat monsters yet. Oh. They have not become bat monsters. And some of them are, are trying to stave off that change in horrendous ways. And others are simply have not changed. Um, and it's digging into those secrets as well. Um, there's also the Nicks uh, that are my brain children. Uh, oh. They're basically alligator merfolk and they've Sweet. got um and they were the sort of original uh worshippers of the wise minister Interesting. and they have their own backstory for how they came to be that in the underworld there's also elements of um there are portals that keep opening through the city um and letting just dragging in elements from different places in the world including an entire forest that appeared 50 years ago um, I, I, I love i love the idea of that because then it kind of builds on that kind of like organic web of other places that kind yeah. of have their own things going on that you can kind of allude to yeah um there's a whole bunch of goblins that have sort of actually came into the underworld through similar means and 
have fully developed a life and thrived in the underworld in a way that they never did elsewhere. Um, they're, they're little engineers now. Yeah, I mean, really you, cool. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big, big, <laughs> like nine out of 10 goblin fan. So anything, any, you know, goblin prize, go on, let them thrive. Um, however they can. <laughs> there are the Uzet who are basically like ethereal sea slugs um that feed on knowledge and are just this incredibly curious race that were pulled from the astral plane they don't know how they got there they aren't used to the forms that they're in now they were very different on the astral plane yeah and they are just the the little information sponges yeah um they almost sound adorable but i I don't i have a feeling (laughs) depending on how you pick them they're probably not on the (laughs) They are one of the softest parts of the setting. There's a lot of dark, but these are mostly a source of lovely entertainment, except that they do leak acid everywhere. That's, I mean, it can't, it can't be all good, can it? <laughs> um, we've also got the Rootless, which are these sort of stone-faced people of all lineages, races that sort of just stumble into sepulchre without any memories of who they were and within like 20 years just become stone statues and nobody knows where they're coming from it, it, it sounds like an absolute like network of, of inspiration, like, <laughs> mysteries it sounds there's so much to explore in it and there is a reason that it has taken extra time because frankly we bit off more than we could chew and yeah. we've had to like kind of step back and reassess at times and at the same time we also had a team of people who were uh developing the adventure series to go along which is a level one to ten campaign Mm -hmm. and we realized very quickly um that we had to stop writing the setting guide fully until that was fully written so that we could make sure that all those connections were in the setting guide itself yeah I, I honestly like a whole I like a setting and and like I get a, like a whole kind of campaign alongside those those are huge kind of endeavors and and building two <laughs> like two kind of simultaneously funny enough yeah. I, I went through like a, a similar process where someone was writing like a a, a three-part adventure chain while yeah. I was doing like the gazetteer and cool. it, it, yeah it, it's it's that weird kind of uh interplay way you, you yeah. Try and, obviously yeah you, you but you don't want it that case of where like you do your adventure thing over there you, you want to have that kind of like you know <laughs> yeah uh, and add to it that when we had initially launched the Kickstarter, the biggest thing that I that Kat had ever worked on was a Raisman Loft Gazetteer, which was massive. Yeah. Um, he did Calidne and he did Sithicus. Sithicus, I think, was co-written with Ollie. Um, but they were big undertakings, but this was the biggest thing that either of us had ever done. Yeah. And January, uh, a year ago, he started at Cubicle 7. Um, so several months after we had done the Kickstarter. And we've both sort of, me through osmosis and the joy of just seeing how he does other things now, yeah. um, have grown so much in terms of knowing how to develop a full book. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, I mean, like what the, we were getting ourselves into. Sometimes, like, again, it is is the nature of the beast where you you can't can't sometimes you can't learn until you do. Uh, and and so, would you say that, like, I guess, in terms of of you know the the uh, one of the some of the core lessons is literally just in terms of like project scope when approaching that kind of intersection of like here's a project, here's Kickstarter. The biggest lesson we have learned, and we kind of knew it at the start, but I. I take the blame fully for this, <laughs> was too enthusiastic. Get all of your writing done beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Um, also make sure that you build enough money into the um in, into the budget to pay yourself. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think sometimes it's, it almost feels like, um, particularly when you start involving like slightly larger scale collaborations, there is almost that kind of 
I was about to call it martyrdom. But that's, yeah, that's, that's, a little bit. Of, yeah, because you always want to put, you know, other people who are, you know, dedicating their, their free time to kind of involve you kind of want to yeah. make sure. Um, but equally, it's your time as well. And yeah, if you, if you can't afford to sit down and, and write it or work on the project, then you can't afford to do the project. Yeah. But And that has been the case at times where we've had to sort of focus on the day job or focus on the stuff that actually pays the rent yeah the mortgage but honestly it sounds like obviously like the the caverns themselves and, and the kind of all the kind of world building alongside it, it it does sound like an awesome thing and and i'm so thrilled with it the setting guide is most is i'd say 99 done there's like a little bit of there's there's bits and pieces that are getting added in the editing process and the layout process and I have so much art to do because I'm still playing catch up from completely buggering up both wrists. Um, as soon as we moved in last August, um, I got RSI. In yes. And I, I get that. Do you, you need wrist for being an artist? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> just slap my face against the <laughs> tablet <laughs> it's weird it's weird there's a point in which your art turns all to finger painting and uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately you... fingers are connected to wrists yeah okay yeah you, you know what now now i'm here trying to figure it out yeah there's probably still some juice. yeah even just holding a pen like that you it still puts strain on it how, how, how do you stretch as artists yeah how, how are your wrists feeling now by the way they're fine um you know i've yeah. been having rsi off and on but this was full-on carpal tunnel in both ones because we moved in and painted an All entire those. room <laughs> <laughs> we painted the bedroom and then we painted downstairs and then we spent weeks unpacking and everything just broke so okay well so, to, <laughs> so i guess to uh to come back around and uh, pop a, a capstone on, on the chat about the dreadful realms then what would you say is something about the setting that that is like a, a point of pride for you or like you're like that's that, that that's dope that's really cool um, I so two elements of it. Ooh. I'm gonna cheat and give two answers. Oh, by me. One is the art that I've done. Um, we also have some wonderful art from David uh, Markiski and Saga uh, Mackenzie. And but the uh, a lot of the art is coming from me, and especially things like um, the portraits of the main NPCs are mine and I have been working so hard to develop that painterly style yeah. to do them justice. Um, the portrait of the high priestess of the wise minister, um, which is a piece that we have splashed all over the Kickstarter, um, is actually the first one that I ever properly did in that style yeah and i did it over the course of two completely manic um hyper focused days <laughs> yeah um and we've got a cover reveal in our latest update that's how that has her featured again um it's a work in progress um one of the features is still just this sort of scribbled blob in the background <laughs> um but the other thing that I am immensely proud of is the city guide to Sepulchre uh, yeah. itself because it's come in at probably about 20,000 words. Um, we only expected it to be about 5,000, which was very short-sighted. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've written about... 90% of it myself yeah. which is so much yeah and it, it, I've, it, I had never done anything like that and then it we had intended to do it together and then our the, the presses on our time just fluctuated to the point mm -hmm. that it was easier for me to take it on and 
do it and it's been huge and intimidating and I did it <laughs> yeah it's it's done yeah no I don't think yeah I I think as well what says when it comes to like gazetteers and that kind of information it, it's always like a fine dance of like there's so much information you could include yeah and obviously it feels like you you kind of want to give that so much like to kind of give the world the, the feeling and drawing that line of being like okay well what does what does what does you know the dms or the players actively need in order yeah. to you know run the setting versus what would just be what's just what's just cool what's just awesome like <laughs> i would i would love to spend you know like uh, yeah. a good 500 words talking about this really cool statue that comes to life once a day <laughs> you know there was um there's probably a few thousand words devoted to just life in sepulchre so things like how does crime work how does yeah uh how does education work what do you do with the children yeah. and what and things like <laughs> sorry what do you do with the children <laughs> fair question yeah, what no, does it, the society do with their children yeah. especially because in sepulchre it's the land it's the realm of the dead um the underworld mm-hmm. and it's just sort of wedged in there and how do you introduce brand new life to a setting like that yeah um i mean also like, comparatively <laughs> we, we've heard what happens to the old people so. <laughs> that's only the cave elves okay there are plenty of the other people out yeah. there um but one element that i that cat and i brainstormed a lot on was travel through the city <laughs> things like because it's a very vertical city yeah, and yeah. we were very inspired by things like our trip to Prague years ago where we had stayed in the old town but we wanted to go to the castle and not only does that involve crossing the Charles Bridge it also involves climbing up these like 90 degree hills (laughs) through this tangled web of back lanes and that that went into a lot of the design (laughs) and yeah I I think then it raises questions it raised questions like okay but how do people actually get around Mm -hmm. and so we started doing things deciding that it's like a very youthful rebellion rebellious thing to do things like hang up rope ladders or Mm -hmm. even carve handholds into walls so that you can just scrabble up where you need to instead of going the long way around no it's nice it always it always feels like almost like organic when you kind of bring in your own like life experiences but then applying them within like the context of like a fantasy setting and yeah again the idea of like tying that into you know uh, a a faction or a group of individuals who are like listen the rules are you would have to climb this 90 degree hill uh, (laughs) but we ain't got time for that we're just literally gonna you know uh parkour um geez basically no kids say parkour Okay, I, I mean, I you know, I, I had my hardcore parkour days. Um, <laughs> I have the I, I have the dent in my leg to to. to oh parkour. no! Yeah, it's 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 pretty bad. Um, but uh, I regularly fall over. I do not have a temper. Yeah. <laughs> um, but honestly, was it law looking at the time? We've we've done it. We've survived. Okay. Uh, the the relative the, the, the relative hour, <laughs> the normal Ish. hour. It doesn't have to be relative to anything like that. Um, but one thing I definitely want to like catch before you know uh, we end things is, is just obviously um, hearing some of the cool stuff that you're currently working on that's maybe on the horizon, and arguably more importantly, where can people like you know stay up to date and and keep keep stay stay in the news about your work? Um, so a lot of my focus at the moment is dreadful realms um, for the up and coming stuff. Um, also for a fairly small group of people out there watching. Um, we will be at Swansea Comic Con next month. And um, it's the first con where we will be there just as Exasis Games. Very excited. Um, where we'll have some Cats games and we'll have prints. And I'm actually going to be doing some pieces that are sort of posters for his games. Ooh. And I'm quite excited about that. Um, and we will also be at UK Games Expo in June. Um, right around the corner. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, so soon. Um, let's see. What else? Um, I can be found on Twitter. That's my main unfortunate hellscape. Um, <laughs> I'm at crit underscore law. And uh, it's the same, I think on in instagram where mostly you will get pictures of custom dolls nice. um 
yeah. Everyone needs their hobby that they also try to pay the bills with. Well, I was gonna say, was it also <laughs> like when you're at like conventions and stuff? Like, you normally typically have like a few dolls. I've seen um, some of your. I did. I did a dragon meet. Yeah, that was actually the first con that I ever sold anything at, and it was a lot of fun. And we were crammed together. There were like six of us, and we were all on this one table. <laughs> Usually, only two of us behind the table at any time. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You want to like, have like an ongoing like row and stuff like that. But yeah, I think with like working conventions is is never comfy. In, in the oh, I I love conventions in principle, but I found that I far prefer having people come to me. <laughs> I will sit there and I will greet them as they arrive. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but it's, yeah, it's, it's like, there's a lot of walking otherwise. Yeah, it's nice to just like, yeah. <laughs> there's so many crowds. Well, honestly, uh, Lot, thank you so much for uh, taking this time to have the chat. It's been, it's been awesome. I've, I've thank really, you. I've really, really it's been lovely. Um, other than that, what was it? I've been, I've been Matthew Whitby. You can find me at Whitby Writes. Um, I don't think I have anything coming out soon. I, I probably do. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know. What did you is. have come out recently, though, Matthew? Did I have anything that come out? I recently? don't know. Recently, I did. I did indeed. Last... Yeah, yeah. It was. We had the uh, the the, the t- uh, tome of silence. The the uh, <laughs> uh, attack of the astral sounds devourers. Uh, it's a wizard. You did the you did the offer. I fact. did. We, we, I must admit, I probably should have spoken about that before. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, no, it, it, honestly, it's 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 uh, a fantastic little adventures that you know, um, lovingly brought to life these these weird weird, weird snake boys, um, and who <laughs> will literally snake boys. Yeah, they will eat the sound uh, out of your mouths. Um, and if you want to find out more about that, that would, yeah, there'll be a link in the description to to, to find out a little bit more. Thank, oh, dude, thank you for setting me up for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it brings me to uh, my, my last question, um, which is a bit a bit of a surprise. But um, well, uh, how 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 do you end a podcast? I don't know. Okay. You just go silent and wait for them to go away. <laughs> okay. <laughs>